0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them, so thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Doug Tatum, Chairman of Newport Advisors. Newport is a national partnership of CEOs and senior executives who advise emerging middle market companies and assist private equity firms to invest in and grow portfolio companies. He's also a member of the teaching faculty at the Jim Moran School of Entrepreneurship at Florida State University and the former chairman of the board for the Association of Corporate Growth, a global not-for-profit organization with 58 chapters and 14,000 members in the U.S. and internationally. Previously, Doug was chairman and CEO of Tatum, which grew into a highly respected and successful national professional services firm with 30 offices and over 1,000 professionals and employees that invented the fractional CFO sector. The company was sold to Spherion in 2010. Doug is the author of No Man's Land Where Growing Companies Fail, a leading text about growth companies that has been translated into several languages and has won four national best business book awards. His insights about the economy and business have been cited in hundreds of media outlets, including Inc. Magazine, The Financial Times, and The New York Times Online. Doug Tatum, welcome into the corner office.
1: Well, I'm glad to be here, Bram. Thanks for having me. What
0: part of the world we catch you today?
1: You know, I am am down um, in Tallahassee during the school year. I'm a faculty member down here, so I'm trying to stamp out ignorance, God help. (laughs) One student at a time. (laughs) One student at a time.
0: (laughs) Well, that's great to hear. And uh, you know, we always like to kick off our podcast and hear a little bit about your early days. I I think you kind of originated in Florida. I know you went to school down there, but that's not the case. Tell us uh, where you grew up and what your early family life was like.
1: Well, yeah, I, I actually uh, grew up in Tallahassee, Florida. Right. So, you know, grew up going to FSU football, basketball, and baseball. My dad was an old surgeon here in town, and yeah. so uh, went to undergraduate, graduate degree at Florida State University, and then actually served as a, a CFO uh, for one of the local companies and then ultimately a co-president of one of the larger ones in my late 20s. Yeah. yeah. that That kind of... Tallahassee
0: was home. That's why I'm back right, here. Right, right. Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, mom and dad, you mentioned dad was uh, in the surgeon business. Mom worked from home?
1: Yeah, uh, she did. And uh, my brother uh, and I, uh, uh, I actually give him credit for starting the first firm, uh, which we might talk about later in the podcast, yeah. and uh, joined him and then my sister. So there's three of us, and both of them are a lot smarter than I am.
0: So. <laughs> Where are you in the pecking order? In the middle? Bottom? I'm the top. oldest. What's that? Your oldest. Okay. I'm yeah. the oldest. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And, uh, uh, you come talk about some of those early influences in life, you know, dad, obviously coming from the medical profession, mom, you know, raising your three kids. What, what were some of the things that inspired you during your younger years?
1: Well, I, I mean, I, I could not have had a more, more wonderful family environment. Uh, you know, you, you, you see and read and hear about a lot of what, what kids have to deal with nowadays. It's just so foreign to me, but, uh, You know, I think that uh, uh, certainly my faith uh, was instrumental in guiding my kind of worldview through my entire uh, career. And, uh, you know, I had some, I just had some really interesting business people. Jerry Lundquist, who's no longer with us, brought me in uh, to help him in a company called Homes and Lands Publishing, which ultimately I ended up running uh, one day. Uh, Leon Castles was a CFO there, it's kind of interesting. He brought me in earlier to work on some some deals. Ultimately, I became president, and I brought him back in as CFO. So nice. uh, there's some really interesting folks. You know, it's a uh, life is a is a team sport in yeah, that
0: Mentors respect. are mentors are key. Were yeah. you were you a good student in your early days in
1: school? Um. I was a good student, but I was hell. I mean I, I went to a private school and, and if my dad hadn't bought bonds, I think they would have kicked me out. We you know there was a group of us that uh, got up every morning and 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 decided what we could do to uh, rebel and disrupt life. Huh? yeah, and um, we used to I remember if you know if a, if a new student came to the school and and his dad wasn't buying bonds, we said, you don't you don't want to hang with us, they'll kick you out." So this school needed money. So that's, that's the only reason me and some of our friends didn't get get caught out, kicked out. I think.
0: What kind of activities did you pursue other than than raising cane?
1: Well, uh, I mean, we played all the sports. We were a small yeah. school, which was kind of fun. We none of us were destined to do it. At uh, although actually in on the baseball area, a lot of guys I played with played at FSU. So there was some real good athletes there, but yeah. Yeah. Um, none of us were were. We're destined to be on the athletic stage, but we, we you know we got banged around and that's always a good life lesson is uh, competing uh, winning and losing.
0: That's right. That's right. Other things, uh, you know, music, theater, debate, and the other activities you got involved with at school in the early days.
1: Well, I mean, I've I've lost most of my hearing to Leonard Skinner at a couple of those <laughs> concerts.
0: <laughs> One of the most popular bands in those.
1: Period. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, there, there's a hearing problem. I literally think I lost. Uh, God, what was it? Uh, uh, Edgar Winter. Right. Um, sure. I was in totally gym, and I, I literally think I lost twenty percent of my hearing there. <laughs> So, <laughs> you saw them in music concert music, many yeah.
0: times, or, or was that just listening to them at home? What's that? What, did you see them in concert a few times? Oh yeah, it was in you... concert.
1: I mean, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, okay. I, uh, you know, I'm sure I was high as a kite because all it was like a, it was like a smoke filled gymnasium, <laughs> and I swear <laughs> to you. Uh, I got out and all I could hear was buzzing noises for right, three days. So right, that was not right. cool, but.
0: <laughs> what about entrepreneurial things? You know, you we'll, we'll talk about that later in life because you've done a few. But when you were younger, did you have the paper route? Did you, you know, sell Christmas
1: cards? Uh, oh, no. no I, um, I um, uh, you know, I got, uh, you know. We did manual labor in the summers. It right. was probably the reason I got a college education because I didn't want to do that. Uh, a bunch of us one time got uh, got a job down carrying steel in the middle of a swamp building a bridge over wow. uh, the, uh, uh, God, I forgot, forgot the name of the river, but down in Florida. And I, that, I, I made friends with some of the toughest men I've ever been around mm. in my lives. But uh, we could get along with, just about anybody, because of that. Yeah, yeah. Was that good pan work during those days? Uh, yeah, it was dangerous. I fell off the bridge through the rafters, missed oh the barge. God. I mean, they—that that was. I think that was pre-OSHA. I don't think it was that far back. But <laughs> we were so far off the map. There wasn't a lot was, of safety you know, in place. You if, you lose, if you lose a worker or two building the bridge, you know, no that's, big that's, deal.
0: That's, that's part of the cost of doing business.
1: Exactly. Though. <laughs>
0: what are some of the earlier jobs you had maybe during high school and going into college?
1: Probably one that would be interesting to some of your listeners is I got talked into selling books door to door in college. Ah, okay. And um, what kind of books, dictionaries or encyclopedias? The dictionaries yeah. and I remember selling up in Flint, Michigan. And wow. uh, you know, there's, um, I actually sold a pretty good amount of them. I'm convinced it was, they would literally pay the price to listen to me talk. <laughs> of my accent.
0: <laughs> they love it. Right?
1: Once I figured that out, you know, it was like, go go find some, you know, group of families, sit around and talk about dictionaries for two hours, have lunch and sell them books. And they would just sit there and go, God, there are people like this in the South. I can't
0: believe it. <laughs> yeah. And you just laid it on, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. you, oh
1: you have no idea. I mean, yeah, I went yeah. from what you hear now to straight up mountain talk, you know, (laughs) was that good money during those days? I'm sure it was all
0: commission, right?
1: Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was an ungodly amount of money. I came back rich and, and, and uh, it was the only reason I could get a date is I would take these girls to French restaurants. And then when (laughs) the money ran out, it was, you know, back to normal.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. What other kind of odd jobs did you have? Oh, uh, that—that's
1: pretty much it, and then, yeah. then obviously got out. I'm a, a CPA, so I went down the accounting, finance route. And was—was was it a foregone conclusion you'd go
0: to college? I mean, your dad obviously had a degree. Did—did mom—did mom go to college as well?
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't like um, today, where you know I'm going to go and. Think about what college I'm going to go through and do a tour. like my dad would look at me like, uh, son, there's there's a college right down the road there. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yeah, no, it was uh, kind of a foregone conclusion. All my friends did, so. Where'd you do your undergrad? At Florida State and Florida my State. graduate degrees in Florida State. So I'm yeah, back teaching well. at my alma mater. That's great. That's great. Awesome. So what was
0: that first job you took out of college after you finished your undergraduate degree?
1: Um, The first job I took was I came out with a graduate degree in accounting. So I was back then there was eight large accounting firms and you got a You basically got a a job with from all eight of them. If you came out, FSU at the time had a top four or five accounting schools. So I went with the the company firm was called Pete, Mark and Mitchell back then. I remember that. Yeah.
0: And and did you do the, your undergraduate and graduate back-to-back, Doug? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Got it, yeah. got it. So six, six years in total, or did they give you a- No, a, I actually got, got through in
1: five years. years yeah, so. yeah.
0: Sometimes those programs are great. So so PWM, Pete Markham Mitchell first. And did you go on the audit side or the tax side? Where, where the I went on I the
1: audit side, side yeah. and uh, it, it was, oh, it was, you know, I'm not an auditor. I uh, Actually, I'm not much of an, uh, I'm, I'm not an accountant personality either. So, you know, it's like- I'm sitting at lunch with a bunch of guys and they're excited because they get an hour to play Pac-Man. You know, I'm just like, shoot me. Shoot me. And the first audit I was on, uh, they sent me to go make copies. They felt like since I had a graduate degree, at least I could make copies.
0: You could do a Xerox machine. I
1: could do a Xerox machine. So they find me like three days later in the office of the CEO, and I'm asking him how he makes money and how he structures deals. And literally the senior on the job had a mental breakdown because of me oh, I things. Because I just blew her budget, you know. So no, <laughs> I was not that was not where I was going to end up. <laughs>
0: How um, long did you stay in that job?
1: Oh, less than a year. Yeah. I said I couldn't do it. Yeah. So went out and started a small magazine idea with a buddy. That wasn't going to work. And then ended up being picked up as a CFO with one of my fraternity brothers and wow. found that I was really good at that. Yeah,
0: yeah. And what kind of industry was that?
1: It was in the interior products industries, a company Ooh. called Scandia. They do plan yeah, um, sure. uh, blinds. and, right. know and well. so it's, it's, it's not the retail one that you're probably familiar with, but it's the same name.
0: Got it, got it. Cool. And uh, went into the CFO position. So you're pretty young at that stage, what, your early 20s? Early 20s. Early 20s? Yeah. yeah.
1: And then um, ultimately uh, did really well there, got picked up by a technology firm, Came CFO, COO, and then ultimately got brought in to clean up some issues with Homes and Lands Publishing, which was the largest real estate publisher at the time, Right, and actually led the merger of that with the largest printer in the Southeast, and then ultimately became president of that, co-president with a guy that had been with the owner for 20 years in my late 20s. Yeah. We want to pack that a little bit, but
0: let's let's go back to the period of time you first started managing people. What what job was that?
1: Well, of of any significance, uh, obviously when I was a CFO, I had a small staff. But when I got into the Homes and Lands VistaChrome, I had, you know, ultimately a thousand people. Right. So uh, that was when I really had to think about that issue, especially especially given my age. Yeah, yeah. What were, what were some of the thoughts
0: and lessons you, you took back from those years?
1: Well, I mean, I, I uh, adopted a rule: I would um, nobody I hired was as young as I was. Right. Everybody was extraordinarily experienced, and and I basically uh, really, really uh, hired some some extraordinarily good people, mm. and then I just. You know, I was the air cover and kept let these guys go do their jobs. You got out of their way. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah, and and I was dealing with an entrepreneur who was brilliant. He ultimately went out to his plantation oh. and and I basically led led the company, but uh, yeah. uh, it was very very much at a you know at a very early age, remarkably learning how significant it was to over hire at the
0: top. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And what were some of the other, you know, you and in doing so and in, in hiring uh, obviously bright people and bringing them in and getting out of their way, what were some of the things that you needed to do from a leadership standpoint to ensure that the job was still getting done?
1: Well, I mean, I did some crazy things. I mean, we, I, I, ultimately the, the way I got to, when the merger was done, I was put in charge of the technology, mm-hmm. believe it or not. And led a the development of the world's first digital prepress system. Now, I'm not a technologist, so I had to go out and, and, and get world-class people. And um, I hired a, a PhD in physics, and we ended up with a large number of programs. Of, it's a joint venture with Cytex out of Israel. Extraordinary complex thing. And I remember um, that that I learned that technology people will lie to you. So I would have a group of them in one room and I'd ask them some questions and then I would go to the other room and ask them the same questions. And then, I, then I'd say, okay, somebody's lying. And, and <laughs> I never will forget um, that, that we had to have a, a plan to get this thing done because there was millions of dollars being spent and the company uh, had bet in uh, this merger on this technology, uh, because it was a highly leveraged deal, so I remember taking the three top executives, and I, I uh, now remember I'm 29 years old. Yeah, and I, I sat down to, with them. I said, "Okay, gentlemen," I said, "I need a plan." And I said, "So I just rented the penthouse at the hotel, the biggest hotel in Tallahassee," and I said, "I'm authorizing you guys to buy anything that's legal." but y'all are going to sleep together until <laughs> you get me a plan. And I'm freaking made them do it. Right. And you know, they got three grown men got stuck into a, you know, big suite with a couple of rooms and, and four, four or five days later, they came back with a plan. And ultimately we ended up with the um, world's first complete digital prepress system. And I presented it out in a, in a big show in California. And we ended up, with a company that made a fortune out of it. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Where'd you come up with the idea of, of sequestering
0: them at a penthouse to get the job done?
1: I'm I smoke a lot of cigars, so I'm sure it was in some nicotine enhanced state. <laughs> going, you know, if we don't do something, we are we are up shit Creek without a paddle. And and literally, I said, you know, I gotta. These guys have got to have some incentive. So if I take them away from their wives for a week and stick them together, then they'll come up with a plan. Yeah. And I don't I, you know, it worked, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise your listeners to do that. But we had to, there, there's, a, there's a comment, a comment I always say when I do some speaking, I said, you know, innovation happens on a cliff's edge. Right. And we were on a cliff's edge at that time.
0: Great outcomes. We call for extreme measures. I love that. Yeah. And uh, how long were you with that company?
1: I was there, I think,
0: five or six years, yeah. if I remember. Did you sell it in the end? Is that what happened? No.
1: Um, the entrepreneur, I learned something about entrepreneurs then. After we got the business fixed and running, he wanted to come back. Oh, really? Interesting. And so that I happens said, a lot. Know, yeah. yeah, that was not going to work. Nice, and nice. so uh, uh, he was generous with me, and I left. And that's when we, my brother, while I was... <laughs> While I was running that company and we literally, literally I was running around in private planes and, and we, we, you know, we, we'd have our sales meeting at uh, 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 Pebble Beach. I mean, it was like, oh, this, this business stuff is easy, right? right, right. In the meantime, my brother had conceived of an idea out of an investment banking firm he was with about a fractional CFO, so I helped mm. him get some clients. Right. And so when I left, I joined that. And, you know, 20 years later, uh, that was my career. You built that up. Yeah. So were you, uh, you, you were managing
0: that operation or also did you serve as a fractional CFO? To
1: well, that? early on, we all did it all. But yeah. then I was chairman and CEO for, you know, for 20 years, we ended up with 30 offices and over a thousand folks. And then uh, hired a, a Yeah, uh, what year was that? Uh, my replacement in, uh, I ordered up a a search, something, you know, an awful lot about. Sure, sure. And um, Place yourself. And then ultimately we sold it. You sold the business. Yeah, got it.
0: You mentioned earlier about mentors and, uh, you know, mentioned a couple of names. T- tell me a little bit about how you develop those mentor relationships. That's important to our, our audience out there.
1: Well, I'll tell you, one of them was uh, Bob Marshall. Uh, and I never let anybody know it because, um, uh, but he was my uncle and uh, he was a chairman and CEO of Raytheon Construction and Engineers. Okay. So he, so he, this is a guy that built nuclear power plants. He, he was one of the team leaders, literally a handful of men selected by Rickover to build a nuclear submarine. He wow. was a uniquely gifted leader. Now I will oh, tell you, tummy. yeah, yeah, he he was very uh, intimidating. But we actually, I did a joint venture with him and, and one of our earlier clients. And uh, I think uh, you know, you, you, it, it's a function of uh, most people are, are that are that are successful in that regard are more than willing to help somebody if, if you get to know them. And um, but I'll never forget he said never take a job uh, that's not a screwed up mess. And I said, why would you do that? He said, because then you can make the big decisions, that's and that's right. what happened with me and. In in back in Homes and Lands, it was in, it ended up being a screwed up mess after the acquisition. And so I got to go in there and I could fix it. Yeah. Well, I could make big decisions that you would not normally do. That's right. Especially at that age, you know. And then the
0: rewards, of course, are big as well that come along. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And um uh tell us about some of the other mentors. Who are some of the other folks that, that had some influence and in some of the lessons you learned along
1: the way? Well, uh Leon Castles, the, the CFO at Homes and Lands, uh who had brought me in to look the entrepreneur there, the brilliant guy, Jerry Lunk was a very generous man, uh had bought a bunch of uh different businesses. He had a, a money machine, and then like a lot of entrepreneurs, they get bored with, but he So Leon Castles, the CFO, said, come in here and see if you can rationalize these businesses. And my report back was, yeah, I rationalized them. We need a, you know, we need a a gun because they need a, they need to be shot in the head. (laughs) Maybe one. But anyway, um, the uh, interesting thing that Leon told me ultimately was very interesting given the career I had for 20 years as a, building a consulting CFO CIO firm, was he said, if you're going to be a really, really good CFO, uh, you're going to have to have thinking time. Mm. And uh, that was a rule that I always, always uh, worked on, whether I was a CFO for a client, uh, making sure that I had world class controllers and, and staff, that allowed me to get strategic and have thinking time with the entrepreneur. And the other what, thing, what, what did
0: that look like? What did that look like? I mean, in terms of like percentage of your time or day?
1: Oh, you, 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 thinking? if you don't have to this day, now it didn't happen this week. I, I must've ticked off my assistant of 25 years, but typically <laughs> I, um, um, uh, take and, and say so like a uh, Wednesdays, I'll take no calls, no scheduled meetings, yeah. nothing. I take Wednesdays off. Uh, it doesn't mean Wednesdays. I don't want to make some calls, but yeah. they're yeah. I'm outward bound. And right. so if you're not sitting there with a big chunk of time that you can think about because you're never going to get rid of all the noise. Right. So right. you're going to have to pick the things out of that noise that matter and learn to live with a bunch of stuff that never gets done.
0: So on Wednesdays Turn off the phone. Turn off the computer. Really, just get yourself focused on uh, you know what's important from a strategic standpoint. Is that what your daily? Yeah, life?
1: I mean, you, yeah. you, I, uh, um, I remember reading, and I don't know where I read it, but Eisenhower made a comment that that you know when you, when there's too much to do, you go up, you don't go down. That's In other right. words, you you get strategic, you don't get detailed, right, and right. if you're if, you know, if you're going to be in a situation where you got a lot of responsibilities, you have too much to do. Yeah. You're going to have too much to do.
0: Yeah. Great. Great learning. We talked about mentors, but all of us have had a few tormentors along the way. Uh, what are some of the worst lessons you've seen in others? You don't have to mention any names, but, you know, I'm sure you've saw some observed behavior and you said, boy, I never want to be that way. Share some of that with us.
1: Well, um. Boy, I have to be careful with that uh, because some of them might be. <laughs> Keep, it Keep it failed. How big is your audience? Anyway. Um, 500,000.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so um, uh, let me put it this way. Um, the, um, the there, <clears throat> there, There's an interesting thing about culture. Uh, everybody blames it for their failure in a business. Everybody blames Mm -hmm. it for their failures on both sides of the, of the aisle. So let's say, let's say you go do a search, which you do, you bring a senior executive into a company and a year later they leave Mm -hmm. and you do an interview and you say, what happened? If you do the interview of the folks that hired him, they go, well, the guy just didn't, or gal just didn't understand our culture. Yeah. And then you interview the person that left, which I'm sure you've done before. And they go, that culture is, is so screwed Nox. up. You can't get yeah. anything done. Right, right. And then nobody defines culture.
0: Right.
1: And so I, I did that. Bo Burlingham, a dear friend of mine, wrote a great game of business with Jack Stack and Small Giants and was a managing editor at, uh, at Inc. Magazine challenged me on a stage one time and said, after I made that comment, he said, well, what is culture? And I, well, I made it up on the spot and now I talk a lot about it and it's really the inner circle. It's your inner circle. And the ticket to that inner circle has to go from loyalty to performance. Hmm. And some of the folks that you need to bring into your inner circle are ungodly irritating. You might not even like them, (laughs) but they perform and they need to be in the inner circle. If, you, if your inner circle is there strictly from loyalty, then you're going to have a screwed up culture. Right, right. Get a bunch of yes men. Yeah, yep. Yeah, Yeah. right. Very good. Love that.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about Newport Group. Now, we talked about that in the intro. Uh, you focus with middle market companies. That's actually where we do our search practice. Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of had a Goldilocks journey and how I decided to search in the middle market. Love startups, never make any money. Uh, big companies, fine, can compete, but you never get paid. Uh, but middle market right. companies are great because it's just all about getting stuff done right, right? family-owned businesses, sole proprietors some private equity. How right. did you land with with that and and tell us a little bit about the, the Newport group
1: so so obviously a lot of my career over that 20 years with Tatum uh, was private equity I think we did about a hundred million bucks a year with those guys yeah and I was end up being global chairman of ACG so that was my world there let me start with a little data so I spent, the better part of us 10 years a decade um helping the as part of a team building a database at the university of wisconsin that tracks every company in the united states for 20 years wow and to summarize what the demographic changes that are going on in the us are it is that the middle market size of the middle market in the terms of number of companies is is down by 20%. One-fifth of them are, are disappeared. Hmm. It's 1,200 investors with about a trillion dollars targeting that segment. That's called private equity. I'm not saying it's a negative thing. It's just the facts. So right now, 85% of every deal in the United States is an add-on acquisition. Right. An add-on acquisition is a consolidation of an industry which is why you have 20% less companies. So if you look at Newport, there is a segment of what we call emerging growth companies that are uh, real companies run by entrepreneurs and they have to get what we call capital market ready. Right, they have right. to decide, are they going to sell out because they're now being approached by private equity at at you know at two million in EBITDA you're going to have private equity call you, or are they going to scale? And if they're going to scale, many times they're going to need they're going to need uh, uh, equity and, and capital to do that. So being capital market ready is two. Th- this involves two things. One of them is you need someone on the operating business side that is in your inner circle. that has been there, done that at scale. And that's what Newport advisors are. And we're not consultants, we're advisors, and there's a big difference. And then the second part of it is, if you're going to go into capital markets, you better have a senior investment banking um, asset around the table. And that's the second part of our firm. So effectively, we work with these companies to help them think through how they position in the market. So I'll give you an example. You might have an entrepreneur that says, um, I've got this great company. It's making money. I'm, I, I want to sell it, but I need to go build a sales force. And we'll come in and look at it and we'll spend time getting to know the business and say, no, what you've got to do is, is, is you've got to beef up your operating executives. Mm. But if you go out and hire a sales group, the people that are going to buy you, they want your products. They don't want your salespeople. And so you're right. going to spend money for, for folks that they're going to hack when they right. get this thing. Right. So it's strategically thinking through those kind of issues mm. for those kind of companies. And obviously, many times they, right. they don't understand that whoever buys them is not interested in them usually. Right. They're interested in the management team that you yeah. leave them with. Yeah, yeah. So so that's that's where you come into play. So. Right, right, cool. And how many advisors uh, are in Newport? It's so a very small firm compared to our, our old one. We're very, very picky about who we bring in because it's not easy to explain what we do and, it's, and you have to really have, you have to really enjoy entrepreneurs, but you have to have a lot of experience running companies. Right. And so there's about 40 of us and we're spread over kind of Northern California, Chicago, the Carolina Research Triangle, and then out of Atlanta, the Southeast, right? And right. obviously Texas. So right. it's a very, very tight knit group. And work across industries, so,
0: or do you focus in cross on- industries? Yeah. Cross industries, yeah. yeah. No markets fund. And in, in terms of defining that, are you kind of 50 million to 500 million, 10 million to a billion? What's what's kind of the we're
1: we're we're uh, in the 10 million range.
0: Right. Got it.
1: Yeah. There's just you take about uh, 30 to 40 people and that, you know, it depends on what investment banking fees come in and out during the year. But yeah. we grow we we grew about 30 uh, percent last year that's the inflection point then is that, that? Uh, yeah. We're, I don't know how big we want to get, to be honest with you. Right. We have a fabulous leadership team. Um, uh, our CEO is world-class and, you know, I think we'll, we'll probably get to that 30 to $50 million range over the next four five, six years. And then I'm not sure we'll, we might just keep it an exclusive club. Yeah. Yeah. Post a, Thirty offices and what we did in the earlier firm,
0: and and the size of the clients you advise. What's the range of their revenue?
1: Well, it depends. I mean, you know, every once in a while we'll 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 take on a, an early stage technology firm. We just right. finished up helping one get a, a you know a ten million dollar Series A, and and we're on the board and take equity. The typical firm is going to be no. Probably in the ten to fifty million dollar range is where right. we're going to be. It's pre, you know, once you get above that, the the, the private equity owns probably fifty percent of some segments of the middle market. Right. There's only about sixty or seventy thousand companies above one hundred employees left. Right. In the In the entire United States. Yeah. The
0: majority of them are on that smaller side. Yeah. So it's a really inflection point, right?
1: Yeah. We're right there in that inflection
0: point. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I want to loop back to company culture. Um, how would you define the company culture at Newport?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's extraordinarily open book management. If you ever read the great game of of business, so everybody's an owner, it's a partnership, like a law firm or accounting firm, everybody's an owner. Uh, the, the business itself is not built to sell. It's built to make the most money for the partners. Right. Um, you've got a, a, a board elected by the partners. I happen to chair the board. You've got a, um, uh, all the financial details uh, are open to the partners. Uh, every partner has to buy in if we accept them into the firm. Right. So the culture is is very very oriented towards uh, it's a it, it a partnership. It's it's literally a partnership. Yeah,
0: and are they mostly the folks that you've worked with in the past, or have you brought in new folks that you you know identified that might be able to help continue to grow?
1: No, the the, the uh, leadership team is is completely folks that were not. There's probably I think one person. In the firm that worked in my old firm, because we're not, mm-hmm. you know, we're not a CFO firm. We're not right. a CEO. Right. That's a whole different, that market's, you know, established and maybe even starting to commoditize itself a little
0: bit. Right, right. So what do you look for when you're making bets on those partners you bring in?
1: Well, what you're looking for, we typically, uh, you, you, you know, we're, uh, fifty to sixty years old. So you got a lifetime of experience and empathy for what it takes to run a business yeah. as an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, if you can't empathize with that, then the second thing is you're you've done well enough that you don't need or want another job. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're not interested in folks that are. Um, hey, I want. I know. Run I want one more. One more run at running a company. Yeah. we are literally sharing what we know with entrepreneurs that are growing their companies. Right. And uh, I very lucrative. I mean, we have, we have partners that make over a million bucks a year yeah. because of equity and, and some of the things that we do. And, uh, but you, but you have to be, uh, that's the starting point. And then right. from there, we're looking for somebody that, that um, uh, had a variety of experiences, is current in their relationships. When we say current, in other words, they're not, they're, nobody's semi-retired.
0: Right. Right. Having fun and making money. but Yeah. But, but I mean, it's, it's,
1: uh, <laughs> we measure it based on how much money we make, but, um, it's a different kind, it's a career for somebody who doesn't need to lead anymore is going to help somebody else lead.
0: Yeah. Love it. Love it. When you, uh, You know, you've interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of people in your various, you know, firms and and interviewing such an interesting art and science because it's not foolproof. As you well know, we've all hired people that, uh, you know, didn't didn't perform the task where we uh, where we thought they were. But do you have kind of a favorite interview question? How how do you kind of get underneath the surface and really get to know someone? And
1: how they treat the waitress serving us at lunch? Mm, Yeah, yeah,
0: I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. Are they treating others like they want to be treated themselves?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can tell a lot about that. Um, Just in how they're dealing with folks, acknowledging people around them. um, Are they the center of the universe? Right. 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 Cool. Love that. Well, Doug, you've been
0: super generous with your time. We're we're just about out of it, but we always have one last question. We always ask our guests, and that's kind of what career and life advice would you give someone that maybe has their eyes on the corner offices themselves, or maybe wants to be an entrepreneur like you and and start their own company?
1: Literally give the people who work for you all the credit. They'll just keep pushing you up up the, um, the chain. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty simple. Yep. Yeah. Love it.
0: Well, Doug Tate, I'm chairman of the Newport Group, and gosh, so many other things. I couldn't list them all, but uh, uh, clearly, clearly, fantastic to chat with you, and thank you so much for your time. I know we didn't talk about your teaching. I I, I wanted to do that, but we'll just have to have you on another podcast in the future.
1: I'd love to. Thank, thanks, Brent. <laughs> we enjoyed the
0: conversation. All the best.